Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Good morning. Good to see everyone here. Is there anyone here that's not here today? Anyone? Okay, a couple. I understand. It's good to see Norm here today. We've been praying for Norm and Rita. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And that's a great praise that God has watched over Norm and Rita. For those who may not know, they had a motorcycle accident last week, last Sunday evening, about 4 o'clock, and uh, were rear-ended on their motorcycle. And so uh, Rita is still recovering in the hospital, and we're trusting God will just continue to raise her up and heal her. And he's brought her a long way. I mean, she's doing great, and uh, we give him praise. So praise the Lord for sparing her life. And uh, here a week later, they're back with us. And so, and Rita will be here. Amen. Amen. I know. I said, man, can you imagine how quiet this place would be if Norm wasn't here? And it was funny because Sunday I looked over and I said, hmm, Norm's not here today. That's a good part of being creatures of habit. I could usually say, who's here? Hey, Travis. You were down there, and now you're up here. That's awesome. <laughs> Give it up for Travis. That's awesome. <laughs> Good to have you, buddy. I think you brought your parents with you, too. I think I saw them somewhere. Oh, yeah, they're back there. Isn't that? We're going to be in John. chapter 20. You guys are awesome. Your name should be Clairvoyant. I got these little half glasses. So I can see, looking over, and it'll be half as much to clean. But boy, I tell you, they get just as dirty as the full, full ones do. It's like looking through the clouds. Now, we are going to be reading verse 24 down through verse 31. And uh, I see people are turning, turning. John 20. It's funny, you used to hear pages turning. Now you see iPads and iPhones. And it's funny, someone says, I'm really reading the Bible on my phone. I'm not texting. Sure you're not. Oh, I know you are. Sending God a, a text. Aren't you glad that prayer isn't sent via text now? Are you? Prayer is still sent the same way. And so, a uh, great way to continue communicating. All right, let's uh, ask God's blessing before we delve in. Father, if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. What an amazing time of worship as we have sung about grace. What a great time of communion as we see and hear, even as Glenn described for us, what is man that Thou art mindful of him? What are we? We're, we're nothing, Lord. We, we are just glorified dirt that you pulled together and brought to life, and, and yet you, did, you have done and continue to do so much for us. All we can say is thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
And now as we come to Your Word, as our hearts are filled with worship, we pray Your Spirit will anoint us. And I remind myself, anointing, it means Messiah. It means Christ. Lay Jesus on us, Lord. Lay Jesus on us by Your Spirit. Empower us by Your Spirit to listen. Empower us to focus. Empower us to apply. Empower us, Lord, to go forth from here different than we came into here. And Father, I pray You will hide me behind a cross. You will preach through me, Lord. And Lord, preach to me. You know I need this. I need to hear Your Spirit. And I need to sense Your Spirit working through us. So come, Holy Spirit, just pour Yourself out on us and work through us and on us and in us. And Father, do everything that we might say to God, be the glory. Bless those who are here today. Bless those watching over the internet right now. Not able to be with us in body, but here in spirit. Bless them. Let them know we love them. Let them know if we haven't met them, we look forward to meeting them soon. And Father, we just ask Your blessing on them. Draw them to the cross as well. And we just pray You'll work in a mighty, mighty powerful way in all of our lives. And all God's people said, Amen, 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 Amen. And what a, what a great ministry the tech team has. I'll tell you, I, I get emails uh, pretty consistently. You'd be surprised how many people are watching that live local and even as far as California and even uh, overseas that uh, they'll pick up the services and and there's only one complaint and I don't blame them for the complaint no no that's that's really I'm glad you brought that up that's really why I get the emails they ask me can I use that I've said sure No, the, the, only, the only thing I've heard is they said, man, we've got to get one camera that's not on you, but on the congregation too, so we can see our friends. So I was like, well, I don't blame you there. <laughs> so we'll have to uh, see what we can do about that. You're probably saying, no, no, blame me on that. So, but anyways, all right, John 20, we're going to pick it up verse 24. Now I'm going to reference uh, verse 22 in a moment, you know, as... Jesus speaking to His disciples will breathe on them and say, receive the Holy Spirit. Because I don't want to go past that. I know you say, well, we covered that text two Sundays to get through that text. And so that's all right. I'm just going to jump past for a minute and we'll move forward. Um, but we're going to pick it up verse 24 as we read down through the remainder of our text. Verse 24 says, Now Thomas called Didymus. Now, yours may say twin because Didymus means twin. So Thomas, interesting, he was called twin. I don't know. I, I don't know. He must have had a twin brother or a twin sister. He must have had a twin around somewhere. But you know, the funny part is when I look at Thomas and I see his spiritual struggle, you know what I realize? I'm his twin. I go, that's me. And we all have our own twin, don't we? We, we have the one side that, boy, we get it. And we, we love it and we live it. But there's that other twin of ours, that, that evil twin, if you will. That we're just like, man, why don't you get it? Why do you struggle? Why do you keep doing the things you do? Well, Thomas, who is called twin. One of the twelve. So in other words, he's been there right from the beginning. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So now, verse 24, we're now after the fact. This is when Resurrection Sunday, when, when Christ came to the disciples in the upper room, remember they locked themselves in, doors plural, for fear of the Jews. He wasn't there. 
He didn't see Jesus. Remember, when they saw Him, edoed Him to see with comprehension, uh, Thomas wasn't there. So, the other guys are good guys. The other disciples told Him, we have seen, and there's our word, edo, or in the NIV also said, hareo, we have seen the Lord. We saw, and we saw Him, and we believe what Jesus has done. He has risen from the dead. He's alive. But, it's amazing when you get that word, but he, Thomas, said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And we're going to delve into that verse in a little bit in a moment. A week later, how long later? A week. So if they were on Resurrection Sunday, and now we're a week out, what day is it again? Sunday. So we're a week out, or it's Resurrection Sunday. And, and apparently, by the way, they talked to Thomas that same evening. That's the idea now. It's the idea that, that now it's also time reference. But a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. So he's like, Man, I don't want to miss it next time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, by the way, did you notice this week it does not say for the doors were locked for the fear of the Jews. You notice now that they've seen Jesus, the fear isn't there. Now that we all lock our doors, or we, at least we should, and you know we lock our doors and, and, uh, when we go to bed at night. But here they are in, in the house, they lock the doors, but there's no fear. Praise God, you know, when you keep your eyes on Jesus, there's not fear, right? And they said, all right, we're back in this spot here. The doors are locked, but it's not for fear, the Holy Spirit says. Then Jesus enters the room, and we all love that part, don't we? It's like, yeah. I think Jim McGrail was sharing with me the distance between the particles of an atom. And, and I tell you, when you get into hyperspace and particle physics and stuff, that, that's some awesome stuff, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you guys really. It is cool. Jim will tell you. It, the distance, if you were to, what, if you had a golf ball, the closest one is what, six feet away, the closest electron? 600, that's right, 600. Six football fields apart from the center of the, the atom to the closest electron, 600 feet apart if you were to use the size of a golf ball as the nucleus of the atom. Are you with me on this? That's a lot of space, huh? That's what I tell you, people. Just line your space up with the atoms and you too can walk through the door or wall. Got to love this stuff. We don't need to know how he did it, but the fact is he did it. Amen? And that's as cool and we can do it too. I'm going to do it. I can't wait to do it. So, I'm serious. So he enters the room and he says to them, peace be with you. Remember, Third time in just a few verses, the fifth time, number of grace, the entire Gospel of John. He said in chapter 14, chapter 16, and now, and by the way, those verses were in the upper room, and now here he is three days later, and he, he says it two more times, now a week later he says it one more time. And he says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Now this NIV will say, stop doubting and believe. 
Thomas said to him, My Lord and my what? God. Don't, don't let anyone tell you that nowhere in the Bible does it say Jesus is God. It says it right here, Jesus is God. Right? Thomas declares it, and Jesus did not say, Oh, no, don't call me that. There's only one God. He was God. This is the greatest declaration in the Gospel of John. You'll see Peter will, will say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But here in the Gospel of John, uh, Thomas, of all people, gives a declaration, not just the Lord, not just the God, he says, my Lord and my God. And by the way, you don't see him doing what the Lord bid him to do. He didn't have to thrust his finger in his side. He heard Jesus, saw Jesus, declared Jesus. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me. Didn't that touch? But you've seen me. There's our word hareo or ido. You have believed Blessed are those who have not seen Edo and yet have believed. You know who that is, by the way? Yeah, baby. That's us. Jesus, now it says, Jesus did many miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. What, what are these? No, everything he's just written, right? All these things I just wrote, he, he, this is the theme of the Gospel of John. You know, I say, what's the Gospel of John written for? He goes, okay, I'll tell you what it's written for. Verse 31, these are written for this reason, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's the whole thing. Why did you write the Gospel of John? He says, that, so that you may know Jesus the Christ, and by believing you would have life, and abundant life, and life more abundant, as Jesus said, in His name. Now, as we come to our text, this text, just prior to verse 30, is written for that same purpose. It's written that we might believe, and that we may have life, in His name. Not just salvational life, but living life. Spiritual life. Now, when we come to this text, my message is the wonderful works of grace. What Glenn described. Who are we that God would do this? Who are we that, that God would save us? Who are we that God would give us these promises? So we're, we're nothing, but God is everything. And His grace gives us what we don't deserve. Remember, mercy is holding back what we deserve. Remember when you were kids, you'd say, no, 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 Dad. Well, in the old days, we used to do this number. Nowadays, they don't even bother doing that. But in the old days, we said, no, no. Now, if we knew what we were saying, we were really saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. <laughs> now, sometimes they listened and sometimes they didn't. You know, the parents, you know. Mercy is holding back what we deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve, Right? So here we are, as we look at our text here, we have been focusing on grace. We are looking, and grace always looks from God to man, never from man to God. If we were looking from man to God, we'd say, Thomas, what a loser. I mean, look at this guy. What a spiritual washout. Thomas, your evil twin has surfaced, and, and, and here you're saying these things that you wouldn't even believe. 
if we were looking from man to God, we'd say, Thomas, what a mess. And then we'd say, God, help him. But Scripture looks from God to man. And we say, God, what a great God. And I know you can do anything in our lives that we need done. Amen? And, and by the way, this isn't just when we look at others, as I've said last week. It's when we look at ourselves. And how many times the accuser of the brethren gets us to look at ourselves and then we say, woe is me, I'm undone. And we look at God and say, I don't even know why you, you bother with me. I, I fell in the same problem. I said I would never do again, and here I am doing it again. Of course, we never do that, do we? Aren't you glad that once we dealt with it, we never have another problem with that issue, whatever it might be? <laughs> yeah. Right. It must be like me. Grace comes this way. Grace says, you are God. <laughs> and we need you. You show mercy and you hold back what we deserve. But yet, you don't leave it there. You give us what we don't deserve. And as I look at our text here, I, I just see grace all over. Remember, the Gospel of John is not written to, to catalog all the sermons of Jesus. It's not written to give us an exhaustive list of the miracles. There, there's much more miracles, much more that Jesus said. But the Gospel of John is written so that we may believe. And for those who believe in Jesus Christ, it was written so that we may have life in His name. Continual action, a life journey. The just shall live by what? Faith. So when we look here, we see this, this text, again, is for that purpose. And, and so we want to focus again. Lord, show us from Your grace perspective to us what we need to learn. As we begin, I want to begin in verse, like I said, backing up to verse 22. As we think of grace. Grace, first of all, brings us to life. Grace brings us to life. Look at verse 22. Back in the bus up a couple verses. It says this, And with that, after He said, As the Father sent Me, I'm going to send you. In other words, same way, read Isaiah... No. Yes, Isaiah 61. Thank you. Isaiah 61 will show you how the Father sent Him. Then He says to them, actually... He then breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now you say, wait a minute. How do you get grace brings life from this verse? How is it that grace brings to us life when it simply says that He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked because I'd like to explain that. You see, when we look at our text here, and I went to look at, and I think you know by now, I go through a text and I look at every word in the original language and say, what is it? I want to make sure that I understand what the original language is to better understand what the translated language is. Are you with me in this? So as I look at this word, I, like you, I was expecting to find the word pneuma, right? P-N-E-U-M-A. I said, well, I know what this is. It's got to be pneuma. Like we, breath, breath. We, when you have trouble with your lungs, you may have pneumonia, right? It's the P-N-E-U-M-A. Pneuma. So I said, well, this will be easy. I know, okay, breathe on them. It's going to be pneuma. I clicked. And lo and behold, guess what? It's not the word pneuma. 
As a matter of fact, it's the word, and I'm going to bring it up in a little bit here, it's the word emphasos. Emphaso. E-M-P-H-Y-S-A-O. Emphaso. We, we have our word emphasis. The only difference between emphasis and emphasos is the last two letters. Emphasos will have A-O, and emphasis will, will have emphasis I-S. Emphasos. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Do you know that this word right here, when he breathed on them, it means to puff or to blow. This is the only place in the New Testament this word is found. It's the only place in this Bible this word is found. This Bible is translated off the Hebrew and the Greek. And obviously it's a Greek word, and so it's not going to be found in the Hebrew. All right, And so whenever I see something like that, I say, wow, wait a minute. This is the only place you're going to find this word, emphysios. Emphysio, that's the word, emphysio. You know, the only place you're going to find it is right here. And, and to me, I'm like, wow, that's pretty important. And he says, and he emphysios them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. An interesting thing, however, is when I found out the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Remember, the Old Testament was original language was Hebrew. That's right. And that's how Moses made his tea, in case you ever wondered. He brewed it. The Old Testament is Hebrew. What we have is an English translation from the Hebrew. Capisce? The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew. Are you with me on this? In the Septuagint, guess where you find this word emphaso? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Had a boy, girl. Genesis 2, 7. And Genesis 2, 7 says this, and I think we'll have it up here. And the Lord God, by the way, same declaration that Thomas made. My Lord and my God. Lord means the sovereign Lord, the sovereign God. Interesting, Thomas will make that declaration. In Genesis 2, 7 it says, And the Lord God, or the sovereign Lord, formed man from the dust of the earth. And he breathed, he emphasio, into man, into his nostrils, the emphasio of life. And man became a living soul. So here we are, it says... There in Genesis 2 is where you find the word that's the only place in this translation you find the word emphasio, yet in the Greek translation you find it in Genesis 2-7. The same exact word. That God breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. And Adam was created, but when God created Adam, he was lifeless until God breathed into his nostrils. And then he became a living soul. By the way, you notice... He was lifeless. He, he wasn't uh, dead because you have to have life in order to die. Understand that? He, he had never died at this point. He wasn't dead. He just was not alive. All right? It's like a rock. A rock is not dead. Or excuse me. It didn't die. The rock didn't die because it didn't have life to die. Right? Are you with me on this? But if God breathed the breath of life into that rock because you and I weren't praising Him, then even the rocks would do what? cry out, right? They would praise Him. So don't tell me the guy can't bring a rock to life. He brought my brain to life, right? He can do it. He can speak to a donkey if he wants. 
But here's the idea. If you and I were strolling through the Garden of Eden, you know, when God made Adam, and we walked up and said, what's that? You would say, it's a man. And that would be true. He was a man at the moment that he was created. But he was a lifeless man. There was no life in him. And, and here's the thing about Adam. Adam had no ability in himself as a lifeless man to bring himself to life. He could not remedy his own problem. He couldn't behave good enough to come to life. He couldn't pray long enough to come to life. He could, he could not learn enough to come to life. There was nothing that Adam could do to change his situation or to remedy it. Genesis 2-7 is totally dependent upon an act of God. The Lord God, for no reason from Adam, not because of behavior or deserving or earning on Adam's part, the Lord God breathed into him and faced the breath of life. And then Adam became a living soul. You see, friends, everything Adam was able to do, everything Adam ever became in his life, everything he could say, everything he could do, everything he could think, everything he could behave, everything that he can do, good or bad, everything he could do is made possible because he received the breath of life. Are you with me? I'm not saying God caused him to do the bad. He, he chose to do that. Can I get a witness out there? Okay, all right. I don't, don't, I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying God caused him to do the bad. But he's, he wasn't able to do anything. He could do absolutely nothing as the lifeless Adam laying there in the ground, in the dirt. You know what he was at that? He was hummus. Hummus, that's our word. That's the word. Are we not hummus beings? Human, human beings? You thought it was just chickpeas or not. <laughs> you guys, come on. You gotta move beyond the chickpeas. This he was hummus. That's, that's the word. That's, we are human beings of the dirt. And by the way, I think that chickpeas were of the dirt too, but that's another story. He could do nothing. He was lifeless. But God, when He breathed into him the breath of life, and Adam became a living creature, everything he did after that was because God did a work of God in Adam's life that enabled him to do everything he could do. Is that right? It was an act of God. It wasn't an act of Adam. And we look and say, wow, that's awesome. Yay, God. That was divine grace. Grace gave Adam what he did not deserve and could not deserve and could not earn. Right? That's Grace. That's a great picture of grace. God working on man's behalf. Unless you think I'm stretching this illustration, which some of you may. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's known as what chapter? Starts with an R and sounds like resurrection. What is it? Resurrection. The resurrection chapter. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, the resurrection chapter, in verse 45, it states this. I think we had that verse for you. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Remember, Jesus is not the second Adam as if there's two or three or four more to come. He is the last Adam. Adam was in the garden when God made Adam. Adam had to become a living being. 
He wasn't created a living being till God breathed in him the breath of life. But Jesus, the last Adam, did not become a living being. He was the life-giving Spirit. He was the one who gives the life. You found So here in Adam's life, it's, uh, this is the idea that Jesus is the one that gave Adam life. Jesus is the one through whom grace flows. Jesus is the one who brought the disciples to life there in the upper room. He breathed on them. He puffed into them. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 2.4 says, But because of His great love for us, because we are so good at being good, Oh, wait a minute. Wrong translation. That was a super amplified version. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, holding back what we deserve, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in sins. Because remember, we were alive and undead. We were dead in sins, for by grace you are saved. So even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin uh, that Ephesians chapter 2 will speak about, children of disobedience, and we know what that was like. We, were, we all lived it. Even when you were in that condition, God, because of His great love for you, and it was rich in mercy, He held back everything we deserved, put it on Jesus on the cross, and then it made it possible to give us everything we don't deserve. And He made us alive in Christ, raising us from the dead, for by grace, undeserved favor, are we saved. And I look at that and I say, how awesome is that? That God breathed on these disciples. And by the way, He says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And I know people are going to say, well, wait a minute, I thought that's going to be the day of Pentecost. Wait a minute, I thought they were already believers before the cross. Weren't they disciples of Jesus Christ and they believed and they had faith in Christ? Yes, yes, and yes. All right? Here before the cross, they were believers that Jesus was the Messiah. They looked forward to the cross. Remember the two guys in the road to Emmaus? And, you know, they, the day when Christ died, and, and here was a third day, he said, we thought he was going to be the one. He was the great mighty of God. We thought it was him. They looked forward to the cross before Jesus went to the cross, the greatest demonstration of grace and then as Jesus rose from the dead, we're now, we're not, they were on this side of the cross looking to it. And now, after the resurrection, they're on this side of the cross looking back. And now on this side of the cross, here we would say the term born again. Now they received birth. They weren't, they weren't just a lifeless being. Now they were brought to life. Before you and I are saved, we are spiritually lifeless. You understand that? That's why we don't have a spiritual appetite. That's why we, you know, we have to force ourselves to go to church. We have no spiritual pulse. We could care less. We might be religious, but our spirit is dead. Isn't that what the Bible says? And yet, through no effort of ourselves, we cannot will ourselves into spiritual life. We cannot deserve ourselves into it. We cannot behave ourselves into it. We, we, we cannot wish ourselves into it. The power of positive thinking won't get you into it. None of that stuff. It was an act of God to save us when He blew into our nostrils the breath of life. On the day of Pentecost, they will not receive the Holy Spirit as in to come in and live with them. They have Him right now. They will see, receive power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Capiche? So they're going to see that later. And by the way, did you notice Acts will be the next book? Everyone says, where are we going from here? I go, 
What do you mean? What comes after John? Acts. Yeah, baby. I look forward to it. So, grace brings us to life. And aren't you glad that God's grace was shed abroad in our hearts? Aren't you glad that when we were dead in trespasses and sin, God breathed into us the breath of life, the Holy Spirit. When we accepted Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in us and lives in us. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and not of yourselves? For you were bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is God work. This is, this, that's a great thing of grace. It's a God work, man. And I tell you, we don't need man work. We need God work in our life. We need to look at God and say, Lord, you are doing this in our life. I can't do anything apart from you. Adam could do nothing until God moved and worked and changed him and, and gave him the spirit of breath, the breath of life. You could wag a stake in front of Adam and he wouldn't say, ooh, that looks good. You couldn't tempt him with a, a Snickers bar. I like Snickers bar in case anyone's wondering. He, there was nothing, he would respond to nothing until God started to work in his life. Grace brings us to life. Grace moves us to truth. Grace brings us to life and then moves us into truth. Now, when we look at Thomas, verse 24, remember Thomas, the twin. Thomas was not in the upper room with the disciples. The end of excuse me, in verse 25, it says, some of the other disciples told or so the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, you look at that and you think, well, that's kind of strong to say I will not believe. No, it's actually stronger than that. Because when you, this verse opens up, in, in our English it will translate, unless... I do this, then I'm not going to believe. In other words, if I do this, well, then I'll believe. That's not what he's saying. This is actually has a double emphasis, a double negative emphasis, not like two negatives equal a positive. This is a double emphasis. It literally would read this. Even if I, even if I see these nails, even if I thrust, and the idea here, it wasn't to put, it is to thrust. I mean, this, this guy, is, he's, he's wired. Even if I see his nails and thrust my finger in his side, I will not believe. That's the idea behind what he just said. Do you think Thomas gets a little wound up? <laughs> this is very emotionally charged. This is Thomas saying, in other words, there's nothing you can do to make me believe what you just told me. Even if I do this, even if I see him, even if I thrust my hand, I'm not going to believe it. I will not believe it. I refuse to believe it. Whew. It's amazing how dogmatic we can get over false doctrine. He didn't believe in the resurrection. Did Jesus raise from the dead? Was Jesus alive as he's saying this? Will he be alive a week later when he sees him? Is he alive forevermore? And Thomas says, even if all this happens, I'm still not going to believe. Man, I mean, he sets his heels and he drives a stake in the ground and says, then you can't make me believe. That's the whole idea. He refused to believe. As a matter of fact, not only do you see that in his declaration, 
You see that in the Lord's statement, verse 27, at the end of it. And well, he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it. And by the way, put is so, so soft. And again, it's, and thrust your finger in my side. He says his words back to him. <laughs> I'll tell you, man, when the Lord says my words back to me, they're tough to eat sometimes, aren't they? Make them sweet, because you may have to eat them, right? And he says, go ahead, thrust it in my side. Now, the NIV says, stop doubting and believe. Now, that's a, to me, it's a, it's a poor rendering. It's a poor rendering of our translation. In our mind, doubting is like, oh, well, are you going to be at the fair this week? I don't know. I kind of doubt it. You know, anyone been to the fair this week? You know, the World's Fair in town? It's the World's Fair. I mean, everything stops. <laughs> it's like, it's awesome. It's a great place to go. It took me an hour to make it down the one line of the tent. It's not a tent anymore, but you know what I mean. Pole barn. It took me an hour to get from one end to the other. But it's great. I love it. But we think of doubting like, oh, hmm, eh, I don't know. We think, it, we call him not faithless Thomas. We call him what? Doubting Thomas. Do you know that's not what the Lord called him? The Lord called him faithless Thomas. Without faith. He says, stop being faithless and have faith. As a matter of fact, I know you're sitting there going, well, I don't know, What's, what are the Greek words we have here for faith? Okay, I'm glad you asked. The word believe is our word pistos. Pistos. It means to have faith. Simple that. Our word at the end here of our text, he says, uh, "Stop, be, don't be faithless, but believe." There's a word, pistos. However, the word for faithless, or we say doubting, is a pistos, without faith. They just put the a in the front. It's the same thing. You, a theist is someone who believes in God. You put an a in front of it, and you have a a theist is someone who does, is without God, right? Gnostic means with knowledge. Those who believe that they can, can approach God, all they have to do is learn, and they'll make their way to heaven. That's, that's the church of Scientologists. They're Gnostics. Those the, the, they think that all they got to do, they get their little reading rooms and everything. Why do they have reading rooms? Because they need knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. And the more I know about God, the more I will be in the presence of God. Really? My Bible says it's by faith, not by knowledge. Amen? Gnostic means by knowledge. You put an A in front of it, and you have agnostic, which means without knowledge. Now, I could fit in that category. Pistos. Faith. Apistos. Without faith. Thomas, stop being apistos, but pistos. Stop being without faith, but have faith. And by the way, both of them are a continuous action verb. In other words, stop continuing to live without faith. Let me ask you, is Thomas a believer in Jesus Christ? Everyone go, oh, yes. Was he a believer in Jesus Christ? Absolutely he was. <laughs> did he have a problem with the resurrection? Yeah, he did. What was his problem? He didn't have any faith in it. It wasn't that he was like, eh, I don't know about the resurrection. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, you know. It wasn't that doubting type. It was faithless. 
Thomas, stop being faithless when it comes to me, but be of faith. And it's a continuous faith. It's not salvational faith. It's living faith. It's a faith for life's journey. Go on life's journey with faith. The just shall live by pistos. Not apistos. You see, when we look here, God is challenging Thomas to stop living without faith and start living by faith. Start believing, Thomas. Now, lest we are too hard on Thomas and his emotional declaration, don't forget those two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 and verse 25 when they were kicking dirt and griping because, well, we thought he was it and when, you know, here it is the third day. And then Jesus says to them as he's walking with them, Oh, foolish, how foolish you are. Boy, I hate it when he says that to me, right? Tim, stop being crazy. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to pistos, to believe. How foolish and how slow of heart to believe. Remember, uh, these two guys had the same problem. They had a problem with pistos, a living journey, yet they were believers in Jesus Christ for salvation, but they had trouble walking by faith. And he says, stop walking uh, without faith. Start walking with faith. Remember, Peter, Paul, and Mary running to the tomb. I mean, Peter, John, and Mary. <laughs> different band, different group. Remember, they all went to the tomb, and all of them did not pistos until John finally saw and believed that Jesus Christ was alive. Lest we're too hard on Thomas, each of them at one time were apistos, without faith. And they had to realize and grab something that they struggled with. Grab something that they didn't comprehend. Grab something that was doctrinally different than their brain could handle at the time. And they said, and each one of them were moved to truth. Grace moves us to truth. And by the way, grace does it gently. And grace does it line upon line and precept upon precept through the Word of God. And it says, lead us into truth. Thy Word is truth. Grace does it gently and grace does it effectively. Matter of fact, in Acts 18 just to the right of your Bibles, and we'll have it up here too. I want you to look at what grace looks like. And I want you to hear grace in action. There's an interesting text in Acts 18, verse 24. And here we'll meet a guy named Apollos. Matter of fact, it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. So that tells us what? He's from Egypt, northern Egypt, Alexandria, Egypt. This guy's an Egyptian. He goes all the way across the Mediterranean to Ephesus where he's going to be speaking. He says, a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. Now notice the characteristics how this guy is described. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He didn't have the New Testament. He got the Old Testament. He had a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. So in other words, someone also taught him. All right? So it wasn't just a thorough knowledge in and of himself. That's why God gives the gift of teaching. Someone instructed him in the way of the Lord. 
And he spake with great fervor. I mean, this guy, he had zeal. That's the idea. I mean, it means to boil up, to be effervescent. And he taught about Jesus accurately. So he taught what he knew. However, though he knew only the baptism of John. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember? And so here he is in the synagogue. He is having at it, man. He's taking the Old Testament and he's preaching Jesus all the way through the Old Testament. He is preaching uh, the repentance of John and the baptism of John all the way through the Old Testament. I mean, it was like, woo, he was going. Matter of fact, he spake boldly in the synagogue. So he's having at it. And this took place. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home. Now, the translation, Priscilla and Aquila, is literally Kay and Larry. (laughs) I know how many they have discipled here. It's amazing. Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. They didn't call him out in the synagogue. They said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not all there is, Apollos. <laughs> they didn't say, oh, here's the rest of the story. They didn't embarrass him in public. They didn't make a public issue about it. Grace in action acts like God acts with grace. Grace acts graciously. <laughs> and responds to others graciously, and is gentle, and is patient, and is gracious, and pulls Apollos aside, and has him over for dinner, and they didn't have roast preacher that day for dinner. We would In some churches, in other states, other than Utah, but in other states, we have other preacher, they do that. They roast the preacher for lunch. (laughs) They didn't do that. Priscilla and Aquila brought him over and gently expounded the Word of God more clearly to to him. And guess what? The next chapter, he's going to be right back at it, and two of them are going to be serving the Lord. And matter of fact, some argue that the book of Hebrews, who has no named author, some argue that Apollos was the writer of the book of Hebrews. We don't know. I assume it's Paul, the apostle, but there's no name attached to the book of Hebrews. But what, what an act of grace. God gives us what we don't deserve, but through grace. Grace brings us to life, and grace moves us into truth. It's a revelation. It reveals to us what's truth. Did you, did you notice that Thomas, when God when Jesus showed up there in the upper room, he, he didn't leave Thomas in his position of unbelief and just talk to the other guys that believed the same as Jesus did. He didn't ignore Thomas in the other room. Grace addresses Thomas. Grace meets us where we're at and moves us where God wants us. And grace calls us to believe. As I close, he verse 27, he calls Thomas away from faithless living into faith living. And he said to Thomas, put your finger in my, right here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it in my side. He uses the same words back to Thomas. And he calls him to believe. And be not faithless, but believing. You see, God moved him from unbelief to belief. From apistos to pistos. But did you notice 
Did you notice something about the text? Nobody ratted on Thomas. Nobody ratted him out. Nobody tattletailed. You know, we used to say that? Tattletale? Nobody said, by the way, Lord, let me tell you what he did last week. <laughs> the other disciples didn't call up the other disciples and say, uh, you need to put Thomas on a prayer list. That's what we do, because we're spiritual. Right? Put them on a prayer list. Oh, really? What's happening? Remember, a secret something you only tell one person at a time. Remember? <laughs> really, Thomas? Oh, Lord, do you know what Thomas is doing? Do you know what he, he doesn't even believe he rose from the dead? <laughs> he, he, he doesn't believe like we believe. He's got a whole different belief system. Matter of fact, he's pretty dogmatic about that. And, and God in His grace moves him into grace, but he can do it without us ever being involved. Isn't that great? Nobody even told Jesus. He knew what he, Thomas was dealing with. But did you notice that Jesus did not scold him for his belief? Did you notice that Jesus did not berate him for his belief system? Even though it was not like the other belief system? But remember, their belief system wasn't like John's belief system. And their belief system wasn't like Thomas or the Emmaus guy's belief system. You see, every one of him, every one of us, every one of them, were moved to a position of truth and belief. And it was moved gently, and by the way, patiently. Because what Jesus talked to Thomas about was something he said a week ago. And here we are a week later. And Jesus meets him where he's at, gently addresses the issue where he wants to move him to. And Jesus says, be not faithless, but believing. And like I said, it is an action, a continuous action verse. Go on life's journey believing. Because Thomas, you have a twin of yours, like all of us do, that want us to go through life unbelieving. And not doubting, questioning, well, I don't know. But, no, I don't believe that. Or, no, I don't believe this. Let me tell you something about our church. I don't know if you realize this, but we are a group of individuals brought into one unit called a family. Every one of us will be moved by the grace of God, in the timing of God, through the kindness of God, and the gentleness of God, to believe what He wants us to believe at the time that He wants us to believe that. Isn't that true? All of us come to this gathering with a belief system that was presented to us that we inherited from someone else, like Apollos, that this is what he was taught. But all of us are moved to not just have inherited faith, but to have personal faith. Thomas will then declare, my Lord, my God. I, Thomas says, I believe that you, Jesus, are alive. And I believe you are the sovereign God, and I believe you're the sovereign Lord. Grace moved him to a point, step by step, graciously teaching him, challenging, revealing to him. And grace gives a promise. Not only does it bring us to life and move us to truth, not only does it call us to believe, but it gives us a promise. And the promise is this. He says, blessed are those who see not and yet believe. Blessed are those who don't see me and yet they peace those. They believe me for salvational faith 
and they go through life believing me and keep trusting me and keep living by faith. You see, friends, this thing called Christianity is a continuous action verb. Right? Life keeps coming at us. We keep moving. And God keeps building us and grace keeps growing us each step of the way. So we need to extend to each other the grace. We need to be like Priscilla and Aquila and learn how to be gracious. Let our words be chosen with grace. Let our speech be seasoned with grace. We need to learn how God is and say, man, if you could be like that to me, I can be like that to others. Amen? Grace. Grace. Marvelous grace. Infinite grace. Praise God for the grace of God. Father, bless us. Lead us. Work in us. Lord, I am standing in the most blessed, wonderful church people that I've ever been with. They're such a blessing to me. They're such an encouragement to me. And Lord, I, I don't say that this anyone else. I love Cornerstone. I, they are... They, there's the founding pastor, Lord. I, my heart's there. But at this moment in time, these are the people that I'm with. These are the people that You've allowed me to be with. And we all in this room need Your grace. Your grace to grow. Your grace of kindness. Your grace of undeserved favor. Your grace of revelation. Your grace that moves us. Your grace that brings us to life. Your grace that imparts to us. Your grace that empowers us. It's all about Jesus, nothing else. It's all about Jesus, Lord. Help us to make life all about You when we're so prone to make it all about us. And that other twin of ours rises up and doesn't walk by faith, but walks by works and by flesh. Move us out of flesh and into faith and help us be grateful for the grace of God that brings salvation. Bless us this morning, Lord. There's folks that may need healing today. There are folks here that, that may need Your touch emotionally, spiritually, financially, in their marriage, their relationships, whatever it is. Lord, You know what it is. So today we just ask that You'll help us to take that step of faith. Not to dig our heels in like Thomas, but to open our hearts like Thomas and make the declaration of Thomas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.